the dangers of deep space, both brood, sinister, and even more. Whoa, deep space. So deep. Well, that's that's in comics today, so we should probably talk about it. Yay! Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. <laughs> I had not. I had nothing. No, no quirky little Justin. No, no quirky little no Justin. New name. No, no intro idea. I was just like, yeah, we were in space a bunch. Space happened. <laughs> space happened all around us. Hey, but we're here, and comics are happening all around us. Yeah, we we've got a handful of comics to talk about today. Bunches of them. So let me tell you what they are. Ooh, what are they? It's Love Unlimited number forty, X Men Unlimited number seventy seven. X-23, Deadly Regenesis, number one. Scarlet Witch, number three. New Mutants, Lethal Legion, number one. X-Men, number 20. And Nightcrawlers, number two. I gotta tell you, I almost switched the order a little bit. Oh, really? I really liked X-Men. Oh, you really liked X-Men? I really liked Nightcrawlers as well, but I really... On second read, I was like, wow, that really did a lot for me. Okay, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, I guess. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Spoilers. (laughs) Hey, next Thursday. Oh, no. Shit, I can't just. You can't. Whoa, whoa, (laughs) whoa. You can't just start talking about the news without saying it's time for the news. What time is it? It's time for the news. The news. What news? you flatlining the news <laughs> is the news dying i don't know it just came out and i went with it it was last week too <laughs> the... well, last week i didn't kill the news <laughs> hey next thursday the 60th anniversary event will be upon us mm-hmm. marvel unlimited annual subscribers have been invited which I think leaves out a, a decent majority of people, but they're using that as an incentive to right, buy get it, people get your subscription on to do the full event. Grant Morrison has been added to the lineup. Oh, cool! They wrote New X Men, mm-hmm. and you read the E is for Extinction storyline. I did. I did read that. And we're planning a little after party live on Instagram, so stay tuned for more details and come hang out after we watch. Yeah, it should be a good time. We're going to talk about all the things that happened. And Fun-filled Thursday night. Yeah. There's an article. I, I love I love Marvel articles. Even though I read all the comics that they're writing articles Marv- about. Marvicles. <laughs> news. 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 Say sorry. I really like, I heard it when you said Marvel articles really quick. I heard. Marvel articles. Marvel articles. Anyway. Tell us why you love Marvel articles. Because it just it, it looks at it in a different way that you don't get in the narrative. It's like, hey, we're going to take this concept and we're going to write it out even further. So they had an article about the fallen civilizations in Sins of Sinister. Oh. So especially in Nightcrawlers number two, we get a glimpse into the future time. And what are all of the civilizations that have fallen in that time frame, Earth being among them, mm-hmm. Arako as well. Yes, indeedy. The Brood. But one that they did call out as still being around, the Kree Scroll Alliance. Oh. Even knowledge that you need to even, know who's still at play. Even the Shi'ar. Yeah. 
Well, Down. we see that yeah. in uh, the crawlers. Sure, sure. X-23's history. Mm-hmm. There was an article interview with the creative team on the new book talking about Laura and her backstory and her publication history. It was really interesting. That's a good refresh if you if you want to have some meat with your potatoes when you're reaching when you're reading next twenty three. Which one is the comic? I think the comic's the meat, no? If you want to have some <laughs> potatoes with your meat, I guess is what I should have said. You can't eat potatoes. That's why you don't get the reference. Uh-huh. The spark. There's an article about the spark and what it means, where it comes from, why Nightcrawler is just so jazzed about it and did how it, it's getting perverted by Mother Righteous. Did it make you understand the spark anymore? Did it try new things, man? Is it? <laughs> okay. Also, also, there's an article about uh, who is Benjamin Rabin. And for those who are reading Amazing Spider-Man, that's relevant. Who is Benjamin Rabin? I don't know. I haven't read the article. I just read the title and bookmarked it for later. Who is Benjamin Rabin? Is that Ben? Like, like Ben Riley? No. Yeah. So, okay. He's, he's the new mystery villain that's been introduced. But has also had a backstory. Why'd you bring that up right now? Because <laughs> it was in my tabs. It was in my tabs. There were, I was just clicking through my tabs. What? Okay, Spider-Man fans, go check out this uh, article. I'm just trying to slowly seed interest in Spider-Man. I know. I'm probably going to cut all this out. No, you better not. <laughs> Finding the spark. This is real. This is the real deal goodness. This is the meat and potatoes this of the This is the podcast. potatoes. This is the potatoes, right? Right? Sure. Empower, a documentary series on Disney Plus featuring oh, yes. the ladies of the, the MCU. Women. All right, so it debuted yesterday, International Women's Day on Wednesday the 8th, and is a four-part series from executive producer Zoe Salada, I believe is her name, mm-hmm. Gamora. That's awesome. Yeah. I really want to watch that. We will. I saw someone talking about the Wanda episode and I was like, ooh, I need to watch this. Yeah. Which I I have not seen any of it. It just interests me. I love, we watch all the the making of the thing or any kind of documentary about a thing. If I can nerd out about something that I nerd out about to another level, if I could watch people explain it to me. And tell me all the secrets. Back when Walking Dead was good, we always would watch Talking always Dead. Always watch the Talking Dead. I want to know the secrets. I want to know the details. I want to know what you're hiding. Even The Last of Us, when they have the little featurette at the every end. Time. Every you time. Every time. Got to watch it. So, we have a poll. As I, we do. I put four comics in the poll. Oh. I put Scarlet Witch, even though it's not really an X book, but Polaris features heavily and. Figured, all right, we get we get four options as a max. Okay. You 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 tainted the poll by doing that. Just I so did? You know. Oh, no. I thought about it. That's I, not I a not... Krakoan book. All right, I won't do it anymore. Never again. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> She's upset. All right, Nightcrawler is number now, two. my predictions are going to be totally off. I mean, I'll, I'll... Rude. Don't even say it. Don't say it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nightcrawler is number two. New Mutants, Lethal Legion number one, Scarlet Witch number three, X-Men number 20. Who won? X-Men. By what percentage? 63. 41. 
You had the right one, though. Yeah, but it would have been more if you didn't put Scarlet Witch in there. I mean, at max, it would have been 52. And that's saying all the people that love Scarlet Witch also love No, no, X-Men. that's not true. At max, it wouldn't have been. It could have been more than that because they people who voted for... No. No, you're right. I guess I you're right. I know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hey, hey. All right, who is number two? Number two is Nightcrawlers. Nightcrawlers, 34%. Num- number three... Is obviously New Mutants. With 13%. And Scarlet Witch is last. Scarlet Witch apparently ruining the poll. It's not ru- It's just you won't even, you wouldn't even consider putting a non-Krakoan mutant book, an Be- X book. Well, because that technically has no relevance to the story. But to be fair, I could have or should have been putting Captain Marvel in if there's space for them to be in the polls. I don't know. I don't. I just. I don't know. I'm just making it up feels, as I go. It feels twisted. There's no feels rules. Wrong. You don't have no rules. You can't tell me what. I can't. I can. I can say whatever. All right. I'm making a poll next week. It's all going to be Scarlet Witch. Scar- <laughs> is it Scarlet, Scarlet Witch number Witch one. Poll. Is it Scarlet Witch, Witch number two? Issue did you like best? Who's the favorite guest star? Is it? Is it Storm? Yes. Is it Viv? Is it Polaris? It's not Polaris. Not Polaris. Salty. Let's talk about Love Unlimited. <laughs> Love Unlimited. Love pool fighting over what's right and what's wrong. I mean, basically he's learning that he's holding the power of God, the gods on his crotch. Yeah. And he needs to uh, give it back. All that all that banter about the loins. That made me laugh. The loins. And then Spider-Man coming in. I was like, what is happening? Spider-Man is here? But also Spider-Man's like, hey, Wade, why am I feeling all weird? Why am I attracted to you? What's going on? <laughs> why is the invisible woman slapping and you on the butt? suddenly Sue Storm is coming in hot. Yeah. Everyone wants Deadpool, but nobody wants Animus. And... Nobody knows why they want Deadpool. Right. It's the girdle. It's the magic girdle as we find Venus. I don't know the if it's woman. really a girdle. That's a belt. What's a girdle? It's a little more like encompassing. What's a bustier? A bustier? You yeah. don't know what a bustier is? It boosts you. Boobets. Bustier. I mean, that's not really like why it's called bustier, but. <laughs> All right, I'm just learning things. <laughs> it's kind of, I, I guess, I get, I get what you're saying that it's not a girdle because it's not. You know, no, like it's girdles not. is what they wore in the 1900s to make themselves look thin. It's a girl. I mean, put like dresses spanks on. are yeah, a yeah. girdle. Sure. Go ahead. Google bustier. See, see. I did. Oh, yeah, you did? I, I recognize it. Corsets. Yeah. Basically. It's for the boobettes. Sure. It's nothing to do with the, the lower half. Anyway, Venus. You guys are learning so much today on this podcast. You're learning about new Spider-Man villains and, and undergarments. And Venus... And Venus. Who I guess is our lady friend from the first issue of this arc. Indeed. What'd you think? I thought great. Interesting. Let's let's see what Venus is up to. Because it seems a little questionable that a god would just leave their very important artifacts accidentally behind subconsciously, intentionally. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's kind of felt like the last two issues didn't have a whole lot to them. Yeah, it's it's dragging a little. We need especially, to like wrap it up. Especially in comparison to X Men Unlimited, which I feel like is oh, it's so good, just on fire, fire right now. Yeah, like I think I've said it before, but I think it's my favorite X Men Unlimited. Mm-hmm. 
But Love Unlimited is written by Fabian Nicieza, art by Selva Espen, colors Israel Silva, letters Ariana Maher. VCs Ariana Maher. So, X-Men Unlimited 77. Oh, X-Men Unlimited. As we're talking about the Marrow and Feral team up. So, something came up in this week's Patreon episode while we were reviewing last week's comics. And we had this question about what exactly gives them the power of a mutant just by having a piece of their body, right? So, we're like, because you have leeches fingers, how does that give you leeches power? Right. And, uh, how do you know that they're sourced in his hands? Right. Like, there's, I mean, Siren makes sense. So Siren makes an appearance in here. Her power making, coming from her throat. Chambers' power coming from his throat, essentially, his face. Right, right. But when we were having this conversation, we didn't have this information. So I was attempting to lead into the fact that we got an explanation <laughs> in this comment. Oh, I mean, well, so I had already read this by Tuesday. Right, but I had not. Yeah. So here we are. Anyway. Anyway, we're sneaking into the Hellfire Babies lab. Mm-hmm. I love a good bisected design. Yo, the art in this the, in this particular issue, like yeah. they really use in general the scrolling layout yeah, the, really well. But this one in particular had so many really great scrolling options, like the outside of the building, seeing the layers, going down the stairwell. Even just looking through Shark Girl's mouth. There's like one where one of the Reavers gets like punched and the way kick, he's kick like through the window. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like thrown backwards and the momentum of him being thrown backwards is like propelling the story forward. Even the stairway scene. Yeah, it's really great. So Marrow and Farrell are just tearing through this Reaver base, trying to find some answers as to what's going on with these mutant parts everywhere. And they're basically discovering that what's happening is the harvesting of certain sections of mutants' bodies where they believe the mutation lies or the strength of the mutation comes from. And that's then giving them that ability. And the Hellfire Baby motto is... Listen, you just resurrect, so it doesn't matter. You win, I win. Right. He even everybody wins. He even tries to appeal that to them as if that's an argument. It's like, hey, I mean, just just let me do what I'm going to keep on doing to leech, and then I'll euthanize him, and, yeah, and then, then you'll just make gone, a new you one. Can resurrect him, and Great. it's fine. Everybody wins. Horrific. Terrible. I mean, this. It's interesting that a story like this is taking place in Marvel Unlimited mm. because this feels like. I mean, this. This, this is, is a great story. It's a great story, but it's far leveled up in terms of Hominus Verendi, the Hellfire Babies, all of their involvement in what they're up to. I mean, the the Reavers, this is kind of an extension of that, mm-hmm. right? How do we take discarded parts and make something new or take mechanics and, and rev up someone who has lost some limbs? Right. But yeah, this feels like this idea of... of um... Mutant, mutant chop shop. corpses being stolen to be used for this type of thing. Like, this feels like a main book story. Story. This has main story energy, you know? And I think it's it's kind of two things. One, it's I think it's great that we're taking this and we're saying it on Marvel Unlimited. We're making the X-Men Unlimited comic really a comic you want to read right. if you're in – a fan of the X universe because these are important stories and I feel like things that will really come into play in larger stories. Yeah. Not even just the villain, but also to have such a great 
Marrow and Feral story. Right. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you're like, are people missing this juicy information because they're not reading X-Men Unlimited? Potentially. I mean, if, if you don't subscribe, then it's you have to a- wait until the printed version comes out. And it seems like they've stopped doing that. Yeah, it's just really unfortunate if you're not reading it because not only is the art super great, this story in particular is a cool story and it's being told really well. And we're getting to have insight on characters who maybe haven't gotten a lot of page time. Right. Interesting. I think we were talking about a couple of weeks, why Marrow and Feral? Mm-hmm. Why this? There was an exchange in the women of Marvel, I think in 2021 where they had some beef ah. Marrow and Farrell and they then found out that they were both former Morlocks or so had they both had a run, connection they had this connection and then they were like oh okay and that might be why Farrell is down in Mutie Town in, in Madripoor because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the other ones that in um, Arizona I think there's like a like a grounds where they play golf yeah right I remember that from like Marauders. Marauders in the way beginning. Anyway, this is written by Zach Thompson, art by Philip Sevy, colors Ceci de la Cruz, and letters Joe Sabino. Mrs. Joe Sabino. Yeah, this is great. More of this, please. This is just solid character. Because even the maggot story was solid. Right. Did we give a real recap or did we just like... Yeah, we kind of did. I mean... Get real excited about it as a general story. They're fighting (laughs) and... uh, there's they're, also they're, fighting between themselves because Marrow doesn't know how to share l- share leadership <laughs> and, and is kind of controlling, but Yeah. Yeah, we, right. we were there. All right. Good, good, good job. Good job. Excellent work. X twenty three Deadly Regenesis. Okay. Number one. Well, first of all, let's talk about this cover. Ferocious. Ferocious unleashed someone. I'm going to see if I can pull their name up real quick because I, I hadn't really noticed the it before but look at the leg like the front leg and how many different directions it's going at one time uh i mean yes and no i think it's a combination of you know an artistic choice to make her leg curvy and interesting and also that like she's running with her leg stepping across her body instead of straight in front of her body so maybe her stride is a little bit not your average stride but we're just ex- sent, yeah. I guess you're right. Like her ankle, yes. her her ankle flexion is is quite extreme. Yeah, there there's a lot more angles than there likely should be, even in an exaggerated runner stance. That doesn't bother me though. Okay. <laughs> Laura unleashed, brutal, violent, beautiful. Here we go. Page turn noise. Who am I? struggle to find identity this is an interesting beginning to this story because i like seeing the connection between laura and logan and i guess like because of how they were both you know created and they were both weaponized and all of that there is that connection but i also really enjoy when i'm reading a story and i see the differences between the two of them and i really enjoyed this story but i feel like it really was just like, hey, are you a girl? Let's retell you the story of Logan, but through a female perspective, and you'll like it. Hmm. 
Like, she's trying to figure out which version of herself she is. She's tired of being weaponized by all these different people. She can't really get a grasp on her past, and then her past comes back to fight her. Yeah, I I see it. I I just, I don't know, and maybe it's not, because it's because I'm not a a woman that I don't see that that is a, I didn't see this as drawn as a parallel to Logan's story. Oh, interesting. I, I just, just saw felt this very as a parallel to me. Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally see it. Now that you're saying it, I just thought that it was a really interesting duality story between who she's been raised and bred to be and who she's fighting to be as she reclaims some identity for herself. Yeah, and I agree. And I also, I really like the way that the art layout is where like it'll take a stance that she's in and you get a flash of her in a former iteration of herself in that same stance. And that's like a common thread throughout the whole book. And I really like that a lot. You know, like it starts out right here as she's walking down this street and she's just walking in her jeans and her leather jacket and her striped shirt. But we are seeing all the different versions of herself going through her mind as she's on that walk, which I think is really cool. Can I even be normal? Can I be a hero? Well, you can start by saving some people from a fire. Yeah. Following along on this chase to the fire as the ambulance heads down the street. And we've got a an old school title page today. Right. Not in the Krakoan era with this one. The Past Haunts Us All. Written by Erica Schultz. Art by Edgar Salazar. Colors, Carlos Lopez. Letters, Corey Petit. VCs, Corey Petit. That cover... Kalman Androsovsky. What will I do on, if there's a day where there's not a VCs in a title page? Rejoice. I'll just be quiet while you read the whole title page. I guess. So we're saving people in wheelchairs. We're saving firefighters when the the fire gets more intense. We're doing the things that regular folk can't do. Yep. I love this jumping panel. Mm. of just her progression to get into the fire, into the danger as she's scaling the building. Yeah, it's cool. Just a lot of good action shots. Yeah, I, I really like the art. Flashbacks to her past and ways that she is she has been used or set on the world versus what she's finding as new ways that she wants to operate now. She wants to save people. She wants to be... As much of a hero as she feels she can, even with this dark and shadowy past. Yeah, and I also like that she's questioning of, you know, does she actually want to be a hero or does she want to just be? And then this de- this fight of like, well, I should be doing something because I have this. If I can do something that they can't, right. then, then yeah. I should. It's interesting that Spider-Man was in the image in the first couple pages, and she's basically wrestling with that great power, great responsibility mm-hmm. idea. And there's a pesky reporter who wants to get up in her business, and she doesn't want any of it. She wants no business with this reporter. She doesn't want to give an interview. Yeah, especially after having saved two people from this fire. So the woman in the wheelchair and then the firefighter, this splash page with her legs all torn up i love it yeah it's so good i was like half expecting them to be like hey do you want to be part of the fire department do you want to join yeah because it seems like you could really do some good when we can't right 
I, I feel like there are so many different ways that mutants could integrate into larger society and right. be a benefit. If only humans would stop killing them so much. Right. If only they would be accepted. There's the firefighter calling her a hero as she's playing this memory in her mind of her being called a monster. Mm-hmm. And she just tells this reporter, listen, get your camera out of my face. Yeah. I want none of this. But it's too late as the footage has been captured and her face is now recognized. Kaimura's impatience as this man, Burnham, confirms, yes, that is X-23. That is Laura Kinney. Now, do you know this Chimera, Chimera person? Yes. From past comics? Yep. But Jordan, I believe, is brand new. Okay. And can you give me any background on who this person is? Kaimura was... X-23's handler in the facility. Got it. So kind of just take that as that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I got that sense that they were somehow connected in that way. I just didn't know if there was any other nugget of information I should. Well, you just think of what that means in terms of her relationship to her. Right. right? You know, this place that she's even talking about all of the torment that has been her life up until this point. Mm -hmm. And to see and be confronted by or at least the scent of someone who played a large part in that someone who worked for the oppressor essentially right so our identity has been confirmed and now we meet jordan jordan the haymaker as they're getting some mgh about to do wonders in this fight do you know what mgh is don't Mutant growth hormone. Oh, where have I heard that before? It's been in comics. It's hasn't been used a lot in the Krakoan era, but it has been referenced without any descriptor, mm. just MGH. Okay. Well, yeah, they're in some sort of fighting ring in order to make the big boss proud. We don't get any indication of who the big boss is just yet. Yeah. Just... The fact that Kaimura is hired by this boss because of her skill and conflicting with her personal baggage associated with this case, yeah. trying to capture and bring in Laura. And the thing that's going to get Jordan through the fight is not just what they've been injected with, but this idea that I've got a surprise for you after. Mm. We found her. We get a little flashback to what we're talking about the reason why Jordan hates X-23, why they're pitted against each other. And it's a flashback to our, our friend Big Will, Wilson mm. Fisk, mm -hmm. Big Willie. Which is, this is where things got like slightly confusing for me because it seemed like, so X-23 is doing this murder under the orders of someone else. For the employ of Kingpin. And Chimera, Chimera, I keep wanting to say Chimera now because blah, 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 words are mushing. Chimera, right? That's how you say it? Sure. Sure. I've okay. only ever read it. so okay. I, I... She is involved in this murder. Well, because she is the handler of, so she's basically like leasing. Right. But I'm saying she's now coming to Jordan being like, look what Laura did yes. to you. Yes. But she really did it. Well, I mean, she's classic bad guy, right? Right. Which is important to bring up. Yeah, yeah. When discussing the story. <laughs> but, you know, Laura doesn't want to talk to any of these folks. She just slices them all up. One of which happens to be 
a relative of Jordan. Yeah. But Laura wakes up from her nightmare, has a really interesting inner monologue about nightmares not being real, even though they feel like they are, even though they are connected to her memories and her history. She goes for a walk, and I don't know if you spot the drone that's tagged her in the sky as Jordan preps for their encounter with X-23, some new tech from the lab rats, and a scent that they bring down from Kaimura. Mm-hmm. I like this information of here's this thing you can use on her, but you're going to have to use it multiple times because it just it wears off, right. which gives me hope that they'll forget that at some point and sure. Laura will be able to break free because... Especially when lost in the fight. Yeah. Right. But she's in her own world thinking back on all the different people that are expecting things from her that want her to be a certain way and how she's not prepared to be that. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was a really interesting character study on Laura and, and just what she goes through and, and peeling back the layers of, yes, we have referenced her, her torment, her trauma, the experimentation, the facility that raised her, but to actually see how she wrestles with that in real time, it's insight that we don't get in the Krakoan era mm-hmm. at all. We don't get any internal monologues. We rarely get her talking about what's going on in her life. It's really only in Exterminators that she's opened up and been friends of some kind. Yeah, you're right. But we end with a a squaring off between Haymaker and X-23. Haymaker drops from the sky, drops a bomb of something that makes Laura unable to heal. And she says, don't care. Got to fight anyway. Dun, dun, dun. Next, Laura's hopes of escaping her violent past are dashed as she fights for her life against her newest enemy. This time, revenge is personal. (laughs) What'd you think? I enjoyed it. But I did feel like it made me go, wow, I didn't realize how similar in backstory Laura and Logan really are. Sure. I think the one big difference and it's not something that he really remembers is that she was born in it like she was born in the facility right and he doesn't really remember much about his his past right weapon x life but he actually did have a life outside of Mm -hmm. his black ops training now this is a good first issue I, i like this dichotomy between her past and her moral compass to help people the conflict can be seen throughout the issue I know Kimura, but I don't think Haymaker had been in anything before. So it's interesting to set up and seed them with a connection to Laura. A lot of intrigue coming out of this issue. I thought the art was really great, especially the the poses that mirrored Laura's history. Yeah, I really liked those parts a lot. And I definitely think it did a really nice job of both building up the mindset of Laura going into this story and telling you like, this is what the threat is. And then having them both kind of meet together at the end. Yeah. Eric Huffman wants more X 23 variant covers so he can get them all. (laughs) He doesn't think he got enough already. There's never enough, Eric. Well, especially the peach Momoko one that came out this week. That was really great. I'd posted that a while back. Gotta love peach. Maddie MKM. Much as I love Laura, I don't get the point of her X-23 mini. Probably won't get issue two. Mm. And I think that that's interesting, especially 
for folks that are reading Krakoa, right? So everything leads into something else. Mm -hmm. What are these past stories? Who are they for? What are they meant to do? Well, I think in general, what I've experienced in reading them is that they're really an insight into the character. And I think as newer readers, as people who are coming into Krakoa and reading from, you know, hawks pox out, who don't necessarily want to sit and go through like reading all these past issues and, and earlier continuity, these are glimpses into the pasts of the characters. It's also a way to say like, hey, this is what was going on in those other times. These are the relationships that they have had. This is sort of like cliff notes of comic history with a little peppering in of a new story. Right. Well, and especially with the editor's notes that reference where it happens in time. And Mm -hmm. if you wanted to learn more about this period of time in mutant history, you kind of get that blueprint for it. Yeah. But it's interesting because I feel like I can understand where the perspective of like not being sure if you want to pick up the next issue comes from because I feel like though I know reading Krakoan comics now like I know Laura used to be a weapon and all of that I just probably have made up my own headcanon about who she is as a character and in my mind she's just very different from Logan in even though I know their history is similar and I really feel like this made her feel like just a female version of him and so I feel like that doesn't really do anything for me to explore Laura as a character. It's just another way of telling of the Wolverine story. I mean, I think that there are similarities between them, but I don't think that that ends her characterization. I think just because and he is her father, essentially, her mm-hmm. genetic donor, right? So, and especially their their history, the the actions happening against them, the enslavement into these government organizations bent on using them as right. killing machines totally yeah I, I see exactly the same or or very similar you could throw gabby in there as well mm-hmm. but what they do with that and how they live currently i feel like separates them and even even just the amount of introspection for laura to to have these thoughts and feelings and wrestling like logan would grunt and say hey bub i kill people that's what i'm good at But I think in current comics, like Ben Percy has done a lot of writing about Logan's struggle with like whether he is really a loner, whether he wants to be a loner, whether he can escape, you know, his past and his memories and and all of those things. And I also think just to sort of play with this idea a little bit more, it's interesting to think that on the X-Force team, Wolverine Logan is not going to be on the team anymore or it doesn't seem to be on the team anymore and Laura is replacing and like if you think about this as a story to be like hey Laura's just like Wolverine like if you're a big you're a big Logan fan read this X-23 story and she's gonna fill that hole that you you know that that Logan sized hole in your heart that you'll miss from X-Force don't worry Laura's got that too you know it's just an interesting outlook but i am interested to see where this story goes and if it has any connection to uh who she becomes on krakoa Mm. because i do feel like in current comics aside from uh exterminators she does sort of like keep to herself in a similar like 
Oh, yeah. I can't make any serious connections. I mean, even when she was on the X-Men, she wasn't really actively participating or sharing, right? Right. Uh, other than that, what has she really been in, in right. Krakoa? I guess the uh, the family snicked and ex-deaths of Wolverine. Yeah. And even that, I feel like, are the, the only times of representing some kind of family life outside of her and Gabby. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Oh, that was cool. Especially if you like classic stories. On to the Scarlet Witch. The Scarlet Witch. Sister time. This is the attitude on this cover. Polaris over the sunglasses, looking down eyes. Even Scarlet Witch is like, I can't believe I'm conjuring magic for this face that she's throwing. It's Mm -hmm. pretty incredible. Yeah, it's an awesome cover. Gotta love Russell Dodderman. Always. Here we go. Page turn noise. Darcy's got suspicions. Three lattes on my payroll? What's this third one for? Can we please find something else about Lorna's character other than she needs and wants coffee all the time? Well, she's a PhD in geophysics. And that's the other thing. Science and coffee. Like, that's it. That's all she's got. She doesn't have any, like, actual personality traits right now. It's just... Girl boss energy. I just know science and I need coffee in order for my brain to work. And I have a sister, even though we're not related by blood. We are sisters. Oh, yeah, 100%. The fact that that is the only thing that she got in terms of characterization in X-Men and that is continuously carried through in every other appearance. Yeah. Other than, you know, I would say X-Factor did some work on her not knowing her place in Krakoan society. I feel like having your father be the big Magneto it puts a lot of pressure on you in a societal standpoint and, yeah. and not wanting to take the lead role on that. I think said a lot about how she sees her place and even just, I thought it was odd that they don't really address Magneto much at all. Yeah, I do. I do think that X factor was a great book for Polaris to really be a character. I just feel like, now, ever since the coffee like trope started with her, it's like she can't be in a comic without first having to get coffee or talking about coffee or like even. I mean, yeah, I've been saying this for right a while, but like this book in particular, like I had a lot of hopes for this issue because I've really liked the other two, and I all of a sudden felt like. We're going to like have a little bit of dialogue and then we're just going to have this like narrated summary of what happens the rest of the book. Like we don't get any real character in interaction for like a huge chunk of this book because it's just being narrated. And then we're bookending it with coffee, takeout coffee and coffee in a mug. Like that's disappointing to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt like overall, I mean, kind of leading into it overall, I felt like these were three halves of stories smooshed Mm. into one comic that didn't really do much justice to any individual story point in them. You have Darcy's mystery being seated. You have the relationship between Polaris and Scarlet Witch. And then you have the last door problem of the week, which I love. I think the art team kills it. Oh, a million percent. On those pages. And I really... I enjoyed that, I think, more than you did just because of the art. I feel like I wasn't as bothered by the fact that it was all just a narrated storybook, but it did feel forgettable. You know, it, like in, in two months, am I really going to remember that issue 
where other than the fact that it set up Darcy's mystery at the end Mm -hmm. and she hugged her sister, you know, what else really happened in this issue? Right. And, and argue to say that what else really happened in the other ones, except the other ones, it was relative to the character, especially with Viv, that was personal to her. She was the one going through the struggle versus Polaris is just kind of here. Even Aurora having that piece of development and her magical heritage in issue two. Right. Well, I just think that the lack of actual dialogue throughout a huge chunk of this book is a disservice to character development. Because I think what's what has been interesting in the other two issues is not only like what's the door problem of the week, but also how is Wanda as yeah. a person changing because of her interaction with these different people and their problems? And how are those things influencing her? And when we get this narration, like I don't even know who is narrating. Sure. Yeah, it like seems it at keeps times... saying like you're the Scarlet Witch, you're Wanda, you do this, you do that. Who's telling her that? Who's narrating it? Is it her reflectively? Is it is it one of her other selves from Trial of Magneto? Is it? I don't know, but we have we have gotten way ahead of ourselves. So and I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm fine with that being how we talk about this issue, especially because you know as as much as we can gush over the art pages over the next seven or eight pages mm-hmm. i mean i will tell you it's written by steve orlando with art by sarah pacelli inking assistant elisabetta diamico colors by matthew wilson and letters cory petit vc's cory petit that cover like we said russell dodderman but big picture it was kind of th- like i said three pieces of story smooshed together like hey i'm working on something i i did like the fact that polaris was called in to analyze or give her perspective on the rock yeah but and the, the magical uh, properties but that didn't really but the other thing that was kind of disappointing is like you're gonna get an issue with polaris and then the majority of this issue when wanda's dealing with the door problem of the week polaris is just standing in the background oh like she, like okay she's kind of helping fight some of these demons and then yeah, you sisters work together to make this thing, but then we're going to go to the land where it came from and Polaris is going to check the time on her watch because she wants to be out of there and then we're going to drink coffee. Like, I don't know. I think even a lot of the narration was centered around Wanda's involvement and Polaris was assisting, but... She was just there. She was just there. Like, we weren't getting anything special. There wasn't anything that made... Polaris being in this issue unique to Polaris. But I say if I was an X fan exclusively not picking up this book and I bought it because of Polaris being on the cover and even in interviews I think it was promoted that this was going to tease out some of the relationship between them especially since Magneto having died. Right. I don't think we got any of that. I mean mm. it, there was, you know, a couple of notes of them being nice to each other or loving to each other being sisters and even regardless of how they're related finding a bond that they share but i would agree that in terms of development as individuals or as sisters it was very lacking and and even in terms of this rock like right she's only like reference well one panel it's it's not a rock it's like mysterium but different right but i i need coffee to tell you more and then 
And then you we, got two, two cups of coffee and we didn't learn anything else. Right. I thought you were warmed up. And then and then throw on in on the on the end this bookend of the mystery of Darcy, which has kind of been referenced before. Yeah, it was in the in a previous issue. You issue saw two. it and then you knew like this person was after Darcy. So I feel like that actually I feel like of all the stories, that was the one that is the most successful to me because I've always felt like the Darcy story is a small little plot building in the background until we get to the point where it's the main focus. Right. And I feel like it was kind of seated in a couple like things in the beginning of like, oh, Darcy, you're going to ever tell us why you came through the door. Surprise, we're going to find out. And I and will it's say. not good. Right. And I will say it was a really, the other thing that was really beautiful between Polaris and the Scarlet Witch was uh, Lorna telling Wanda she is enough. Right. And I feel like that's what each issue of this series has done really well is examine a part of Wanda's history of her life and how she's currently wrestling with. I feel like that was something that Leah did a good job in with Trial of Magneto yes. in finding the redemption of Wanda in the eyes of the mutant population ever since No More Mutants to really address the skeletons in the closet. Mm -hmm. And every issue has kind of had that part. It's very small in this issue, and maybe that's why it feels less satisfying, is it's really kind of at the end where we were very happy to see each other at the beginning, and now I'm doubting what I can do or what value I add or mm -hmm. should I be involved. And I do, one thing I do really like about what we're seeing in this book is these little letters at the end yeah. that are kind of a preview to what's about to happen. I think that's a cool touch of a like next time. And, you know, Darcy's continual scratch out of what it is she's trying to say is, right. because is a she's, fun read. She's wrestling with her history as well. Mm -hmm. Witches and war makers for Darcy's life. The Bakai's justice. Big picture. I mean, I think we were talking about it. Yeah, I think I was actually interested in this Subatomica story. And I thought that that character was interesting in this idea. You know, it's another kind of call to this multiverse that is being is popping up a lot in comics that we're reading lately. And so I was intrigued by that. And I think for me, the constant nar narration with no dialogue and so many words like yeah the art was really beautiful to look at but I kind of got to a point where I felt like I was glossing over the narration because I did it wasn't like pulling me in it wasn't interesting yeah the art was honestly and that's really my first couple of comments is the art is what sold me on this issue mm -hmm. and the fact that I could get a sense of what was happening in these storybooks without reading the narration yeah means why am i reading it especially when there are these big walls of text otherwise blocking some of the art right <laughs> like hey right. get out of here i i get the story yeah I, I think this just went all in with the art the storybook pages are absolutely gorgeous the quest itself really simple and somewhat forgettable but has the benefit of the beautiful splash pages mm -hmm. it felt like there were three stories happening and none of them seemed to get enough development to feel whole Polaris having come in as a request to investigate the rock, plus the little bonus sister bonding time, I didn't feel like we got enough or or it didn't really go anywhere 
to actually develop their relationship other than just acknowledge it. Like the, the relationship wasn't furthered. It was, hey, we, we, are, we have a we relationship are here together. Which makes me wonder, like, are we going to get more of Polaris in these books? Because I would bet. We didn't get any develop. Like the tease has been, how are you going to help me figure out what's going on with this rock? What's up with this rock? Right. And then we didn't really get much of that. So maybe she's working we, on it further. Yeah. Maybe she's drinking more coffee. She's going to go have a couple cups of coffee and ponder the rock and then come back in a couple issues and tell us what's up. Yeah. Is she just going to duck out? Like Wanda's like, oh my God, my shop is on fire. And. And Darcy's being held captive, and Wanda, uh, and Wanda's like, "We gotta take care of this." And Polaris is like, "Ooh, sorry, not in this book. Gotta go." Well, she's she's on Krakoa still. Wanda comes home without her. Oh yeah. Wanda's flying back to the shop solo. So I think it's interesting because, hundred percent on issues one and two. Little little shaky on issue three. Mm-hmm. Gilbert Rojo ten twenty two wants to know: Are we just loving the Scarlet Witch series, or what? What do you both think? And if you ask me Tuesday, I would say, yeah, baby, 100 percent. I don't I don't think like not one issue is going to ruin a series for me. Right. I still think the overall construction of this and the exploration of the character. I just think I was looking for a little bit more of inner character relationship. Yeah, I think now that we're on issue three. Right. I think I want the I almost want the door person of the week to be the B plot and the really what's going on with Wanda and the rock or Darcy or something else to be the A plot and, or I want the door person to have more of an integral role in the overall story. Like it's interesting because if you were setting it up in this, like, it's just this weekly story and that one story got really good attention. I feel like I would feel differently. But since this one, I felt like didn't get – I didn't really get invested because I didn't get to know the character because of the narration. I was like, all right, well, if you're going to just give me this throwaway summary of a story, then give me the actual – something to actually feel like it's the meat of the story. Which if it almost was – this issue was intent to set up – the story is the rock that has been carried throughout the couple of issues mm-hmm. and the mystery of Darcy. Right. And she herself connects to the last door having come through it. Right. So it's almost the fact that this this issue didn't need a, a person a to come through the, the door. Right. Yeah. 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 But I but I am intrigued and I do like I really have enjoyed the art. I I've overall enjoyed the writing. I like the concept of this book a lot. So I would say yes, I'm enjoying it. I would just say this has been my least favorite of the three issues. Yeah. Vaderino felt like this could have been a multi issue arc. It was lovely seeing Lorna and Wanda as sisters, regardless of blood. Way healthier of relationship than Wanda and Pietro. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think so we went back and forth about this i think that's something that i was feeling as well that we didn't get any part of this story well developed right it's almost we got two seeds sandwiched around a a villain of the week mm-hmm. in this problem in subatomica yeah are you ready for lethal legion new moons yes so ready so ready uh-huh 
Well, tell me about that cover. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I think the cover is interesting. It feels like, I don't know, almost like a an homage to New Mutants of the past with a setup of a team of New Mutants of the future. Right. It's like, this is our history, and now we've got all this backing us for what we're going to step forward and do next. Right, because I, I would be surprised if the demon bear and or shadow king play a role in this series at all especially the shadow king because we've already gotten a a hearty shadow king King story story in vita's run but yeah uh, the u-men are front and center Mm -hmm. and they're here on the cover it's just a random smattering of people and i'm curious why and how and especially even this team It, it almost felt like yeah these are the characters that stuck around after the last run yeah well, it's true. That's what they that's who they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Page turn noise. Infiltrating the U-Men. Escapade. Her power on full effect. Trying to think what the impact would be if Sheila is swapped with someone who then gets shot to death. Like, doesn't she have to go back to them at some point? How does that work? Does she now inhabit mm. their body? Well, I think the the essence of this part of the story is really to say like Sheila's unlocking new levels of her power and new comfort comfortability with it. So maybe because I totally agree with what you're saying in like in an honestly logical standpoint, like generally we have to see her go back to where she was before or her original body or whatever. But now I wonder if she's unlocked like a new level where she's not because she does mention at one point that she's able to switch like either mentally or physically with them. And it also just doesn't seem like she has control over what, if it's just their place or if it's their situation or their powers. Mm. It seems as though sometimes, sometimes it's just physical location. Sometimes it's more as if she has no control over what she's swapping with. Oh, see, I just took that as like, she chooses between those two things. Maybe she doesn't have control over it. But I I really enjoyed these first few pages, especially because I was like, oh, look at Sheila go. She's confident. She's not questioning whether or not she should use her power. She's just doing it. Danny, Karma, Warpath, Wolfsbane, and Sarah Bella. It's, it's really interesting. It's just who's still around? Who's still free? Who's wearing a New Mutants uniform? Let's go. Or who, after their past experiences of the last you know, Ark decided this is what I want. This is where I want to be sure. on a team or no, I'm good. I'd rather not. As we rehash the end of new mutants, specifically Martha's story and the trauma having dealt with sublime again. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see the way that Sheila's bouncing back quicker than Martha is. Well, Yeah. But I also think the fact that this is Martha's second interaction with Sublime, it, I feel like the whole exchange affected her. Oh, right. Like she more. should not be bouncing back right. as quick. No, totally. It's valid what she's going through. Just I feel like the events of the last arc, knowing that she got past that prediction of destiny has sent Sheila into this like much more confident version of herself. Whereas I think... Sarah Bella for so long was fighting to just acknowledge that she was her own self. And now that she's defeated Sublime again and really has the solidification of like, 
this is me. She just doesn't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. It's in a different uh, journey for her. Yeah, because she's struggling even just why don't I feel better? Right? They, they rescue these two mutants who I do not recognize. Aunt Guy and Cloud Overhead Girl in the cell. Which and- I was like, I'm getting the marauders that I always dreamed of. Here in New Mutants. Yeah, kind of, I guess, where they're rescuing people. Yeah. But Martha is not used to needing water and not over the experience with the Sublime. They're just processing everything that's been going on in her life. I saw a lot of complaints uh, over the focus being escapade in this issue and especially at the last arc. And I think that's valid to wrestle with, especially when you have a New Mutant added to a team and they seem like... It's relatively all about them, but at the same time, I think Escapade adds a new perspective and the work done with Martha is really interesting since her change to explore that further. Mm. Interesting that people are upset about that because I love this issue. This might be my favorite book of the week. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Good. I think that New Mutants needs a fresh take and I think that in this, I'm seeing actual new mutants and I'm seeing Danny and Wolfsbane and anyone else like Karma, anyone else who's an older member who's not a new new mutant or a new 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 mutant at this point. Like they're like the Cyclops of the team. And these other mutants are exploring their journey to actually becoming, you know, taking a step towards being an X-Men essentially. And I'm really interested in their story and figuring out who they are and getting a different perspective and, you know, having this mutant who we were introduced to, who we saw their personal struggles, both of them, to get to this point. And now they're going to be there for each other. And I really feel like this is not just about Escapade, but about Sarabella as well. And it's going to that's be like the saying. story of the two of them. No, that's what I was saying in the end was that there's does a lot for Sarabella's story yeah. as well. And I think even the last arc of the New Mutants run did a lot to set that up. So are people upset that it's not more about like Wolfsbane or Danny or, or those characters? Yes. The fact that it is almost entire. It's... Like, okay, if you wanted to do a story about Escapade, why are you calling it New Mutants? I mean, it, it even just the experience differential between, okay, we have these seasoned, most of them have been on X teams, and then you have two very brand new field operatives who are also hanging out. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's really a a question of, are you sticking to what a title used to mean, or are you sticking to... Are you allowing a title to have a new meaning? I don't know if it has anything to do with the title name. It's just, I, I get it, two camps, right? You have a, a new creator who has introduced a new character over the last almost year now. Sheila first appeared in Voices Pride mm-hmm. last June or two June. I can't remember which one. but And then to have you know, even the arc previously was very Sheila focused. And then to have this now led by Sheila primarily, a lot of Martha as well. But, okay, but where, where is the New Mutants perspective? If, you, if you're going to call something New Mutants and have a very classic New Mutants team on the cover, that's what people are going to expect that they're going to get. 
And a lot of people that commented didn't pick this up because they weren't interested in this other story that was not New Mutants as they know it. Yeah, I can understand that. I also think we're building a new New Mutants team. Like it seems like Wolfsbane is trying to get Morgan on board to be a part of this team in some way. And I think slowly the more experienced New Mutants are going to be phased out and the New Mutants team is going to be a different group of mutants. Yeah, maybe. I think that that's definitely what I got from the Lost Club, but then even where are they other than Gabby? Mm-hmm. But that's what happens when you change creative teams and then the new creator wants to go in a different direction. Well, we're at a title page. Part one. Vampire Heist, written by Charlie Jane Anders, art by Enid Balam, inks by Elisabetta D'Amico, colors Matt Miller, letters Travis Lanham. V sees travis lanham the cover javi fernandez and matthew wilson a text conversation from morgan needing sheila they are moving in with their parents and feel left left in the dust as wolfsbane happens upon morgan's apartment wolfsbane's not having any of this packing nonsense any of this sorrow we're going shopping yeah, I don't want to gloss over this this conversation between them, though. The This idea of Morgan's stance on Krakoa and not wanting to go there, feeling that they have to go home and not feeling safe on Krakoa. I'm always welcome on Krakoa, but Sheila's the one you really wanted. It just feels as though they feel left left behind, that they have nothing left and that they are not interested in going to Krakoa in any way. Well, I think... They have told themselves that their mutation is worthless. And I think that what Wolfsbane is trying to do in this issue is allow Morgan to see that your mutant strength isn't the only thing that makes you a part of Krakoa. Like sure. you, there's more to you. And Morgan in particular has a really great sense of technology. Well, even... Escapade was calling that out in the last arc, right. right? That you add so much more to the team other than the ability to turn something into chocolate. Right. So I think it's going to be an interesting journey for Morgan to realize that they're not being left behind and they also could have a place on Krakoa. But they do later bring up points about, about you know, Krakoa constantly being at war, which is a whole nother concern. Right. But... We're catching up with Martha and Sheila as we talk about having troubles, the troubles of having a body and just all these new things that Martha has to go through for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you also think about how long Martha had been in captivity or been experimented on and never really had the time to process the feelings and emotions that come with all of that. And not that Sheila's really offering a, a great outlet but she's saying well you know what i do when i don't want to feel my feelings is i rob people eat the rich let's go <laughs> it's not about mutants and humans it's about taking down rich asses we're gonna take down this ridiculously named vampire man count nefaria who he will not be forgotten look at his giant portrait of himself arguably the reason why thunderbird is dead or was dead mm-hmm but yes, to have his own portrait of himself and the deep cuts on this. I don't I didn't look up 
who this guy was from Amazing Spider-Man, but it doesn't matter because they've been disintegrated. They are no more. I love this back and forth banter of like, maybe we could leave like a note, like we're the Whisper Sisters. Well, let's leave tiny shields and say, Captain America robbed you. Yeah. Well, then the, the ballroom dancing distraction sending mixed signals. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 what is, is this? this? A date? this right. I'm into it. You know who else is into it? Gabby! Scout and Jonathan joining in. I was so excited when Gabby popped up. I was like, yeah, let's go, Gabby. But first, we're sewer shopping for tech. Morgan is unimpressed. <laughs> I don't want to be here, and I think there's a monster. Can we please go? Because you thought right. There is a monster. <laughs> it's like a giant Komodo dragon. Yeah. I don't know. I wish it wasn't so mean because it's kind of cute. Yeah, especially on the one where he's not attacking or anything. Just that long tongue like, whoop, hello. Awesome data page on the next side. Which I think is cool because I don't, I think you had said in the past something about the Lethal Legion being, you know, a group of villains. But I like that this is saying we're going to be a new group of villains. We're going to use the same name, but we're different. Right. Well, I think Lethal Legion came up in name in Sword mm-hmm. before X Men Red. That was Orbis Stellaris's work in those like tech enabled assassins ah yes it's a very unconvincing point for recruitment we want you count nefaria food and drink provided i love the wear your best costume yes it's time to get an infiltration plan going as our hench wenches are crashing nefaria's audition for new recruits It's just caught up in the excitement. You know, does this make any sense? Should we be doing this? I don't know. I'm happy. Martha's happy. Let's just go with it. Sheila's like, I don't usually do this without Morgan. And, you know, we usually try to be subtle. And And Gabby's like, forget subtle. We're getting costumes. Costumes that slap. (laughs) Back in the sewers, it's time to investigate Smythe's lab. Morgan's got problems with Krakoa. And I'm glad that we actually get some answers here as to what those problems are Mm -hmm. because I feel like they've been very vague previously. The nationalism, the secret languages, and endless war. I don't know. It's interesting. So I was going back and forth with Vaderino and he thought that that was kind of out of character for someone who has just been evicted illegally from their apartment knowing that mutants are always going to be at war. They're always going to be persecuted and hunted. Yes, but I think as a person who wants to hide from that, going to a place that is the target of that is not really where you would find comfort, you know? Like, if I'm constantly experiencing this fight and this feeling that I'm at war and this feeling that I'm being attacked, I'd rather try to bury that part of myself and live a quote-unquote normal life than put myself right in the epicenter of it all. Well, I think... Believe in this idea of them always going to war, you'll always keep turning to your people and making them into weapons and knowing and struggling with the fact that they have no weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, they are a weaponless chocolate boy. Mm-hmm. As you know, referred to him as and I found it entirely too funny. I don't know. They're, they're struggling with their place. And, and if that place could be on Krakoa, I don't know. I think that there's an interesting parallel in... 
Morgan's trans identity as well mm. and not knowing how that interacts with a world at large that has hostility against people of that identity. Yeah, for sure. The lizard attacks more. Yes, unfortunately, we don't have too much time for deep discussions because our lizard friend is back and we must run. Cut to the montage of costume elements. It's the cosplay closet of my dreams. Yeah. It's where all the old X-Men uniforms go to just chill. Die. Die. But yet some some recognize, like, there's very clearly a 90s Cyclops in here. I think that might be some Colossus gear. It's we got a like, Fang outfit. Looking like Domino, especially her 90s got Black Panther in the background. Is that Feral Wolverine? What is this costume closet? That's what I want to know. Is this just Gabby's private collection? I don't think so. I feel like this is like a like a warehouse of all retired costumes that Gabby, you know, found and she wasn't supposed to. Right. As we rename ourselves Blaster Dame and Fisticus. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Terrible decisions, isn't that? It definitely all goes wrong. What'd you think? I really liked it. I mean, I understand completely where someone who is a big OG New Mutants fan is missing the characters that they love. But I also like the idea that the title of New Mutants is a place for new characters, younger mutants to find their footing in the world of heroism. And I think that, yes, Sheila is our sort of entry point if you will she is the jubilee of the series Mm. but i think that the team that is building is going to mostly be mentored by rain and is going to be sheila and morgan and martha and gabby and maybe some of the other characters that we haven't seen in a little while So that actually excites me. And I like seeing these new relationships form. And I think there were a lot of like really funny moments that I laughed at. And uh, Rain is not annoying me in this series the way that she used to. Like in this last arc and this, I like seeing her in this mentorship role. And I think, you know, it's disappointing that we're not really finding out anything that happened with her child. But I do like that she was feeling this loss of her child and now she's getting to mentor these other children. And I think that that's like filling a hole in her heart a little bit. And her helping Morgan realize their worth, I think is a really interesting storyline. And I also think having a character who's resistant to the idea of Krakoa and and seeing how that either changes them or how that changes Krakoa is interesting. And then... The fact that these kids are young and they're definitely going to do something stupid, I think is a fun, it's a fun perspective. Most of the stories of Krakoa are of these older, seasoned, very serious, you know, mutants. And I think solving problems versus creating them. And I think we need a little, we need a little, uh, rabble rousing. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting multi-story setup. Right? You got a couple of different points. You got a, a couple of characters with some interesting perspective. I like the art team more than the team that was on the last few issues of New Mutants. That kind of felt overly cartoony where 
this plays on that style but tones it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, interested in the story, curious what Rain was doing going to Morgan's if they were just trying to recruit them. I think so. Or just trying to appeal to them and and show that they have value otherwise. The the hench wenches crashing Nefaria's recruitment drive is a cool setup that obviously is going to go terribly wrong. And I think that that's a great place for the older new mutants to come in, right? Sure, like right. every time these kids do something dumb, then the the mentors have to come in and clean it up. Yeah. It was very light on action, which was fine. There were there was the U-Men and the, the dragon. Mm-hmm. Mostly small character moments for the focal cast of Escapade, Sarabella, and Morgan, all of which have little in terms of voice perspective previously, two of them being brand new and even Sarabella largely being new in the last year or so in Krakoan books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Iceman Omega says that New Mutants was disappointing considering the cover had nothing to do with the story. (laughs) It's only because of my completest nature that I stuck with New Mutants this long as it's been in danger of getting dropped from my polls since the beginning of Krakoa day one. Oh. Which, I mean, I gotta tell you, if if you're not enjoying it, stop reading it. In general. Like, any title. Don't force yourself to read something. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I don't know. You look like you were struggling with that. Well, I just... I liked it, so I, I. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not saying, convince them that they are wrong. I'm no, saying, I know. Yeah, don't force yourself to read something that you don't want to read. Don't marauders yourself, even though we do it. Right. That was part of my like. Well, yeah. Well, I think that there's a difference between someone that's only buying what they want to read and a podcast who expresses their focus to being. Right, a hundred percent. It, but if if we tell people to stop reading the books that I like, then those books might go away. <laughs> sure. But obviously, it's not just about me. So, agreed. Eric Huffman thought that the new New Mutants just picked up where it left off. Why even end the series then? I was hoping for maybe a different direction with NNM, something more exciting, not the same old same. Which I thought... Valid point on this essentially picking up where the last issue left off, even the same focal characters and the same plot of the U-Men. I don't know why they decided to renumber it, revamp it. Well, didn't it, it has a whole thing about like a new creative team. So maybe they're, this team is a more permanent. But I think this is a mini series. I'm pretty sure this is being solicited as a mini. Well, then I don't know. They just did it because they'd like to do it once in a while to mess with your life and your comic organization. There you go. They're just trying to keep you guessing. They just want new readers. That's that's generally what number one you sell. say is the thing, right? Like number one. He's got to be a number one because I know all people will pick it up. Well, it's just interesting because I agree it's a new creative team, except the writer is the same as the last arc from the previous run, right? So it's a new art team, not really a new direction, as of right now, we'll see where things go in further issues. But it just of a a title getting rebooted, this seemed like it did the least difference in that transition from issue thirty something to issue one. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a we want to reset so more people will jump in on this story. Yeah. Galeb Horton said, New mutants, baby. This was in response to what was your favorite issue? Charlie is amazing at writing New Mutants. I only want this series handled by her moving forward. I agree. I mean, I've generally been a fan of New Mutants, but I really enjoyed this issue. So 
Yeah. I'm here for Charlie. Good. Vader Uno thinks that Chocolate Boy could be interesting as a character, but his attitude about Krakoa irks me. You literally just got unlawfully evicted from your apartment, but Krakoa is a way worse option. I think that's it's interesting that like what we were talking about before, the fear of what it would be like to be amongst all that potential danger all the time versus right. being able to live underneath the radar. Right. And I think like getting kicked out of your apartment because you're a mutant is you know a crappy situation but then you just want to go it makes you want to hide more the fact that you're a mutant I feel like you're like I don't I'm getting treated crappy because I am a mutant and then I'm gonna go make my home the place where mutants are saying we're better than the rest of you is just putting a bigger target on my back yeah on to the brood to the brood and some 400 other things. There was a lot in this issue. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I loved it so much. Okay, then. Well, what do you think about this cover? We, we talked about the other half of this cover last week or a couple weeks ago. The other two-thirds of it. Because I'm pretty sure this continues off of our first two. Ah, the yes. The X-Men issue and the Captain Marvel issue. And I'm not sure if it's going to be... I think it's three and three. And then the final is a Captain Marvel issue. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dig into it. Page turn noise. The X-Men aren't the Avengers. We don't wait for bodies to drop to suit up. Letting the brood exist is antithetical to all life in this galaxy. How long are we supposed to let this go on? Cyclops. Warlion had pointed out that that feels like an odd read for someone, Jerry, who has written the Avengers previously. To think that that's the perspective of the Avengers. And I don't know if that's the perspective that Jerry has of the Avengers or if that's the perspective that he's seeding Cyclops to have of the Avengers. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I don't read Avengers comics, so I can't really say, but I think the Avengers maybe have a lot going on. Not that the X-Men do not. But basically, they're not going to go for something until it's actually a threat. Where It seems like that's what this is saying. is like the Avengers are going to wait till it's a problem and the X-Men are going to stop it before it's a problem. Right. right. The, and that's the whole thing about the X-Men, right? Is that they're trying to be ready for the problem that's coming. Right. But that's the need for them to constantly be fighting for their survival. It's time to wake Sleepy Brew. Yeah. So he can show us that he's really in control of the brood by making them do the thriller dance. The joy in Magic's face here. I love it so much. As she dances on, on the next page. She's having the best time and Jean's like, okay, bud, we have serious things to yeah, do, th- attend to. literally a brood invasion on another planet. And as much fun as dancing brood are, let's get serious. Oof. And I gotta say... I was a little bit like, Jean, 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 when she's like, hey, Brew, can I, I need you to let me look inside your mind. And he was like, uh, and she's like, I wasn't asking. I was like, oh, oh. I mean, I get it because of the size of the threat that's brewing. Oh, 100%. I just felt like that was more aggressive than I generally see Jean. Sure. She is definitely painted as the all empathetic character working with people trying to be that intermediary, but she's on a mission. Got to do what you got to do. Right. Co-captain of the team. I didn't hate it. I was just surprised by it. 
Yeah, she was giving off some real Charles Xavier as a jerk energy. Yeah, is that's what you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was trying to say it without saying it. Trying to just maybe not bring up Charles for like an entire <laughs> episode and see what happens. He's coming, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, title page, Brew Bro. She wasn't asking. Lord of the Brood, part two. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Stefano Caselli. Colors, Federico Blee. Letters, Clayton Coles. VCs, Clayton Coles. Juan Gary and David Curiel on our connecting cover. As we have some planetary evacuation the battle for refugee rock the fight is getting intense and the ship has got to take off we've got to get as many survivors out as we can and Iceman's just like it's cool they can't get me when i'm ice right i have nothing for them to sink into cyclops is mad about his dad and mad about the situation that they're in (laughs) what's going on Iceman's got some serious confidence in this ability to stand up against them and to just go ahead leave me behind don't worry i'll figure it out well how will i figure it out i will become tiny ice man which all right so there's a lot of interesting plays going on with his powers here the fact that he is invulnerable to the brood in ice i don't mm-hmm. think that it's ever been established this mini ice man reminds me of we tom <laughs> we tom i don't know if I've seen 616 Iceman do something like this, it reminds me of a future version of Iceman that we saw in Battle of the Atom. In that story, Iceman was basically like an old-timey wizard who could summon ice golems that were independent of himself and command them and control them. So my, my question here is, how do they deal with consciousness? You know, the, the Iceman or the ice that was left on this planet as this smaller version of himself escaped what's the difference how, how does that is he able to split himself did he leave his body back and it, it's no longer alive no i mean i think when you think of it seemed like he formed a wall and i think like and then he made himself small to just not be a giant distraction of running away from the wall or he transported his consciousness into that particular part of the ice because if you think of it he's making an ice bridge like his consciousness is not in that ice bridge so he just selects which part of the ice his consciousness is in and then he just bopped up onto the thing and the other thing is yes you're saying that this these uh aspects of his power were seen in a future version of himself but in this iteration he's gone through so many steps to push himself to his omega status that he might just be developing that level of his power quicker than he did in this alternate future. Yeah. Nice. He's being pushed to find new ways to use his power. Mm-hmm. Here for it. Love Iceman, especially little Iceman, as he compliments Sink and Talon on their ability. On their time in the vault. Yeah, we did that. We, we had only a half a millennium. When, where? Where'd you do that, Talon? The vault. They did it in the vault. Yeah, they did. The ship's in bad shape. Where's Forge when you need him? <laughs> He's off on this crazy adventure. He's nowhere. He's nowhere. Nowhere's black holes and Krakoan gates. I, I do love the, the banter between Forge and Monet. She is wildly unimpressed, but happy that they got back in their original bodies somehow. When were they not in their original bodies? Yeah, no, uh, I think it was Vaderino that calls out, did I miss a page? Because they appear there and they see versions of themselves dead on the floor right and i feel like that was 
the confusion and I don't know if they pilot those bodies or maybe there's somewhere along the line where there was an edit and something got taken out and it didn't get unreferenced. I th- I honestly thought that this page was just kind of a joke of them having to try something previously that was unsuccessful. But maybe there was kind of like a, a editing yeah difference because they were fine when they arrived out of nowhere. Right. That's why I was confused as to, okay, so what did, what bodies did they have to get back into? Right. And they're using this black hole to travel back. Does this bring nowhere back with them? I don't know, but I hope it leads to Zorn mm. and Rasputin. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that we're anywhere near that. But it's a black hole. Maybe they'll find a Cerebro in there. Sure, maybe. I don't even think we ever put it in the black hole. We just talked about it. But we're done with that story for now, because we're going back to Brew and his time at the school, the Gene Ex- the Gene Xavier School. It's not what it's called. The Gene Gray School. This was when Brew was a student and getting into his memories, both past and present, as he has redirected the power of the Brood to actually kill some people that should be killed. He's doing good. With a giant army of parasitic bug aliens. Bringing justice to the universe. Or so he thinks. Right, because what happens when you sleep, brood? Go to sleep, bro. Let's let's figure it out. Oh, no, not you. Yeah, for real, not you. Yeah, not happy? I bleh. Uh Oh, I think it's because like the only experience I've really had with Nightmare was that one issue of X-Men where I was like, what's happening here? Yep. What's going on? And now it's like, ha I'm Nightmare and I'm back. And I'm like, but why? Yeah, because he was mad. He was you... mad that Gene slapped him down in the first time that they met. And he yeah. wants some revenge. He wants some revenge on mutants at large. So no one's going to ruin his... take over the entire brood. Yep. No one's going to ruin his good time. He's not only going to take over the entire brood, but he's going to really affect a large portion of the solar system as he's seeding brood drones into these survivors from our our planet rescue. Mm-hmm. The fact that the X-Men are now going to be delivering brood soldiers into far reaches of space, which I think is super interesting. It's a really good story plot. I, I, I totally understand the frustration of, why is Nightmare here? Or what? What is Nightmare doing with this? Yeah, I mean, I think everything is good when it's surprising, but if but Nightmare being the root of the new brood saga is kind of crazy. Yeah. No, no. In I, my mind. Sure. I think it's an interesting way to get around Brew's control, mm-hmm. right? And and does a good job at explaining how Brew can think he has control over them, but is somehow not able to fully because in his dreams nightmare is taking over the armies mm-hmm. but wait but wait there's more sage is letting emma know before she lets everyone else know that someone is here and though i have not any clue how this ties into the X-Men story, since none of the characters in these next few pages happen to be on an X-Men team, I am not mad that Emma and Kate are sparring and we get to see them and Jerry's writing them and Sage is there too. Well, it's just the fact that, okay, so these two still hang out 
as friends and they fight each other and Kate being mad about the fact that Emma is talking with someone while they're sparring. Hey, yeah. I'm a ninja trained assassin. Yeah. Give me some respect. I know you can probably predict where I'm going to go with your telepathy, but Sage has her own problems as Typhoid Mary, who is a mutant. Yes. Has come to Krakoa with her husband, Wilson Fisk. The kingpin. So, I mean, that's how it ties in is they've been on the run. The way that this ties into these characters is X-Men Devil's Reign, one through three. So the, the little Emma story connection to Kingpin as his former, the good witch. Mm-hmm. And he's been on the run since the end of Devil's Reign. But was Devil's Reign X-Men really like related to the X-Men title? Or was it just like Devil's Reign X-Men X-Universe? You know what I mean? Like even though it was called Devil's Reign X-Men, it was never really about the X-Men as a whole. It was really about Emma. It was primarily about Emma, but dealt with the X-Men's control over Krakoan Treehouse in New York because the Kingpin as mayor of New York was making it illegal for anyone to exhibit superpowers in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so how does this make sense in this title? It's because Jerry wrote it and he wants to bring back a plot thread that he had previously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he's doing it by the book in terms of, okay, Sage would be the person that would interact with these folks as they're coming through Mm -hmm. and emma would be the one that would want to know this i mean how does emma really have to do with the x-men team currently other than her connection to cyclops exactly and what is kate doing here i don't know but happy to see her right (laughs) she's not dead yeah she's not traveling through time honestly i felt like that was a point to the strength of the line to be able to talk about other characters who do have purpose in other books but have a seed relating them to something else that's going on on the island. I agree, but I also feel like you've already got these two stories that are just completely different happening at the same time. Like you're telling me the story of Forge and Monet and Monet is not on the X-Men team. So you've got you've got Monet in the picture. Then we've also got the Brood, which is also connecting to Captain Marvel. And the Brood team is split off into multiple teams. And now you're also throwing in this Kingpin thing. And I'm not opposed to it, but I just feel like why throw them all in at once? Why not at least wrap up one of those stories before you jump into something else? Well, I think the action of... Forge and Monet is wrapped. The aftermath is going to be further explored. I think the brood is on autopilot. That's going to be the focus of the next issue. This is going to be a seed for a later story that's just now introduced in what, the last three pages or so? Yeah, I just think it's interesting to know that your critique of Scarlet Witch was that there was these three stories and none of them really got a full service. And I feel similarly about this. See, I think the difference here is the fact that the brood story had meat to it. Mm-hmm. Like this, this piece here definitely feels like, okay, we're setting something up for a later issue. The piece with Forge and Monet, that's just checking back in on a side story that was started last issue. The meat of this story was the duality of the X-Men team interacting with the brood, both on that planetoid refugee rock and interacting with nightmare, both of which centered on the brood's attack and further plans for attack 
that's hopefully going to be thwarted by the X-Men. I feel like that was, you know, to, to continue the meat and potatoes analogy, that was definitely the meat. And this was like some carrots. And then Forge Monet is like the potatoes. Okay. All right. I Yeah, I just like, I feel like the Forge and Monet story and this particular story with Emma and the Kingpin, like I don't feel like they're connected to the X-Men team. So to have two side stories that don't feel connected to the team feels weird for this book. But I mean, like I'm not against Emma being in a book and I think Kingpin is an interesting story point and I just feel like the Forge and Monet story is so like... On its own. What the heck is happening? We're not learning anything at all ever. They went to this place, you see this giant floating head and then all of a sudden they're, they're not even doing anything there. Like they went there to see what was on the other side of this gate. They got there and they immediately left. But it also looked like they took the head with them. Like the head swirls in that black hole. So I don't know what that means or what they're going to do, but that's a story for another issue. Mm -hmm. There goes the neighborhood as we get a data page summing up Fisk's arrest warrant. What did you think of this overall? I thought it was okay. I, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I just felt like I would have enjoyed just getting a little bit more of the brood story and, and, or a little bit more information on the forge and, Monet story I mean I loved seeing Emma and Kate I loved the dynamic of their relationship I I think I wasn't expecting Kingpin at all so I like that element of surprise um but it felt a little bit all over the place to me if I'm being completely honest that's uh I I hear you I liked that you know I I come from reading stories that you know Claremont's stories would juggle all these wildly unrelated plots that something would come up four or five issues later and you'd have to remember oh what was that well how was that this is a little bit more condensed in that things are loosely connected tying to characters that have been previously featured in the run i mean the the kingpin emma story is a little bit of a reach to go back over a full year now to when that story first took place but uh i i really liked this issue i thought that it was an interesting twist for Nightmare, the way that that ties in. I also think that this plays off of Jerry's intent to elevate the X-Men beyond just dealing with mutants. Mm -hmm. And that's been clear throughout the first year and even the second year, the fact that MODOK came in, the fact that Nightmare came in, you know, that these threats are not explicitly X-Men threats, but they are threats to the safety of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that perspective for the X-Men as well. I think I'm not particularly a fan of Nightmare as a villain. So that also played a role. Like I was like, what the heck is, why? Yeah. You know. I don't know Nightmare outside of the two issues of X-Men now that I've read him in. I don't really care about Nightmare. I just think to play off of what was seeded in that first issue and to connect it to the subconscious influence of Brew was an interesting pull. I think the benefit of having all these story threads in one issue makes it for a fun and bouncy read, right? It's, it's going from one thing to another. It's able to mix up what it's focusing on. I really, I think it might've been my favorite issue of the week. That's good. 
Remspring has said Ileana's a dork. It's fun to see her have fun and just be the kid she missed out on while also kicking ass. I agree with that completely yeah i think that's what makes me so drawn to her character is that she's still in deep down in her heart she's still like a goofy kid but then she's like nope i have to be a baddie right now yeah she knows when to turn it on and when to turn it off Mm -hmm. he also said remy was saying that you know those reveals that you only figure out as they're just about to happen like you piece it together as you're turning the page to see it come at you, like when Zorn turned out to be Magneto, but not really Magneto, those are my favorites. And that's exactly what's happening with X-Men 20 this week. But like, which one? Because I think mm. it's the Kingpin. Yeah, it's got to be the Kingpin. Maybe Nightmare, but likely not. Well, but Nightmare, it did kind of have that like... You know, we kept it kept alluding to like what's happening while you're your sleeping, dreams. what's happening in your dreams, and and so it could have been nightmare, yeah, could have been all of them. Blanchano really liked X Men. What made him like it is the comedy again of Magic and Brew, the fact that they're playing off of each other. The nightmare reveal was cool, and and having Duggan connect past threads after he was slapped by Gene. Kingpin and Typhoid Mary was totally unexpected, but should be interesting. Another Duggan thread that came out of that mini and he only wished that we got another page or panel from forge and monet that they had a throwaway line about what they did but it was so brief compared to where they left off and i think that that was felt throughout everyone i was just like wait what was there more Mm-hmm. what did they do here comic extracts needs more kate and emma sparring in their life yes <laughs> Everyone needs more Kate and Emma, period. Until now, we've only had close outsiders like North Star and Kyle on Krakoa. Kingpin is fascinating friction and will still have to obey the laws if he's going to live on Krakoa. Can you imagine Kingpin in the pit? But also, like, didn't Kyle have to get special permission? Like, I didn't think like being could, yeah. married to a mutant just, say, just gives you permission to walk on to Krakoa. I don't think so. And especially like you are not granted diplomatic immunity just because. Right. You your don't spouse. get the benefits of Krakoa. And, and what is it? Yeah. I just don't think marital status is a key. I think you have to. You have to either be a mutant or you have to get special permission. Yeah, Kakoa has to allow you. The fact that he's able to go through the gate is suspect. Yeah. I'm like, Curl mm. says, sort of hate that nightmare is the reason for the brood plot. It lowers the stakes to me. Sorry. I agree completely, Curls. It just feels like, meh. Yeah. What would you have rather been? You wanted it to be the brood on their own or? Yeah, or like, I don't know. Nightmare feels like a saturday morning cartoon villain he doesn't feel like a intergalactic villain Mm. and it's just interesting to me that how is he how is he doing what he's doing if he's controlling the brood in the dreams then when the people he's controlling are awake what happens to the brood that he's controlling through the dreams like how does their empire not fall apart sure yeah so the, the brood drones, you're saying? Right. And especially knowing that they have a hive mind, how is that completely unaware right. and by all, everybody else? Like if all the, because he also was saying like, I've got like others, you think that you're the only ruler, but there's all these rulers, but how can there be multiple rulers of a civilization that is a giant hive mind? Well, I mean, so 
Jerry did address that a little in his last issue with the data page, right? The hierarchy, you do have the monarch of brew, but you also have some empresses, some queens, and how they control and or lead their their subsect, but... But how is Nightmare getting to them through Brew's dreams? And but then they're on, but they're active all the time. But he's only doing it in his dreams. Sure, yeah. There's definitely some comics logic in there, and and even Warline next up was pointing out a lot of how that's not really how Nightmare can attack and or work, at least historically. Nightmare can attack people as long as Strange is alive. And when he does, he doesn't do it on the astral plane, which I think is what's happening here, Mm -hmm. that he's coming in through dreams, coming in through minds. The X-Office has access to the astral plane's boss, a.k.a. the Shadow King, yet they're trying to turn Nightmare into him instead of just using him, which is weird. Well, we've already done the Shadow King. Yeah. A demon in his domain can't be defeated by anyone, only tricked. Even the Phoenix, the Beyonders, and the Living Tribunal couldn't mess with them there so yeah when we are focused on having telepaths mess with nightmare it just destroys the magic mythos of marvel and the villains which you know i don't have that backstory of nightmare and i'm not really that Mm. that does not bother me in a way because Mm -hmm. i just i don't know it right so i'm i just kind of go along with that as the story but to have that pointed out as a as a sticking point to nightmare's character and his the use of his powers and who he is, it's interesting. Yeah, I think like just going back to Curls's comment and you asking me like, what would I rather have seen? I think it's less about what I would rather have seen and more that the brood, this story with the brood felt like it was larger than just the X-Men, like because of how it's affecting Captain Marvel and they decided to kidnap Binary and, and all of this, like... And this answer of Nightmare feels like, oh, Gene slapped me in the face and I want to get back at the X-Men, so I'm going to take down the entire universe. Like, that doesn't feel, it doesn't leave a great taste in my mouth as like, oh, that's that's a little disappointing. Sure. Because I would want it to be more of a world domination. A deep, deeper-seated motive. Right. Right. Where it, it's almost like I had this revenge plot that it also had some opportunity to be more and nightmares just kind of going along with the ride and seeing where else it could take me what does he get out of the the brood destroying everyone nightmares from people you know i don't i don't is that how he feeds i don't know i don't know enough about him right me either yeah mike loves mariah carey says that brew bro she wasn't asking has to be my favorite title page ever (laughs) (laughs) It is a good one. He was not expecting the nightmare reveal, but it does make sense. Action sequences galore in this issue. And Kingpin has arrived. What does this even mean? A daredevil team up? Maybe, maybe. Could be. Well, the fact that everybody thinks Matt Murdock is dead because of Kingpin having killed Matt's twin brother disguised as Matt in Devil's Reign. I don't think you ever finished Devil's Reign. His what now? Yeah. <laughs> Mike Murdoch. I cannot. Yeah, you have to. Since when does he have a twin brother? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is he blind too? No, but he he posed as a blind man because he was impersonating Matt Murdoch. He doesn't have a brother. No, not anymore. He's dead. Kingpin killed him. No, he never had one. No, he did. Vaderino asked. Wait, was he just retconned to have a brother just so he could die? 
I'm pretty sure Mike was around before that. All right. But yeah, that's basically why he was involved in the Devil's Reign story was so he could die. And so that we could think Matt was dead. Matt was dead. Daredevil basically loses his Matt identity in the current run of Daredevil and dives into. Is that why Elektra's Daredevil now? Yeah, they're both Daredevil. But Daredevil's dead, so he can't be Daredevil. No, Matt Murdock is dead. So, so <laughs> Wilson Fisk is like, Matt Murdock is dead. This is a new Daredevil running around my streets. Well, around my city. In my city? <laughs> Kingpin forgot or was forced to forget who Daredevil's secret identity was. But I believe he used, in Devil's Reign, he used the Purple Man's crystal. I think it was like his finger in a gem that was able to like control. He, he made himself remember. And that's why when he killed Matt, he thought he also killed Daredevil. But Daredevil is operating in the shadows with the the fist in the Daredevil run. There's a lot that's coming in right now. And especially that's what you do when you have the Kingpin and or multiple other Marvel properties tying in in one issue of X-Men. Ah, good gravy. This is not this is not the Marvel Universe the X Marvel Universe wipe podcast. Listen, I know. So let's move on. You don't have to know all of it. I do. I will never know all of it. Yeah. Vaderino said, "Did I miss a page? All of a sudden, Forge and Monet are back in their bodies, and I don't know how. Prediction: Magic is going to wipe the floor with Nightmare. I freaking hope so. Yeah. Especially because he was like, "You can't kill me," and she. I just like, yeah. She can. Yeah. And she will. Set her up. And then I'll be happy that it's Nightmare because I don't care who it is as long as magic takes them down. Sure. Iceman Omega said that Nightcrawlers was great, but anytime Iceman steps up and shows us why he's an Omega, that book gets my vote. I feel like it's kind of in the name of uh, his profile. Mm -hmm. So great to see Bobby go to town on the brood. I agree. Yeah, it was. Those are some of my favorite pages. I love Iceman. That's, and that's Ben's favorite X-Man. Yeah. He's great. The Pikachu wonders, with Nightmare making a return, are there any other villains from year one you'd like to see get a rematch? Cordyceps. Cordyceps. Ooh. He was like the arc villain, too. Mm -hmm. I want him to come back. I feel like he... he was in. The, he's in that little bubble in space. Yeah, Maybe yeah. the brood can break him out. I felt like he got disposed of really easily with all that buildup. Didn't really bother me. I mean, I had my feelings about like it's all in your head because Gene made it all in your head. But I think he had plenty of issues to be conniving and to get, uh, you know, get what was coming to him. But I just think of some of the villains of that first arc, he was one of the more interesting ones. Like, when you just asked that question, my brain was like, who were those villains even? And he was one of the only ones that really, like, stuck. Oh, or... Modoc for no, me. No. Who's the guy from, like, the end of time or whatever? Is he the... Not from the end of the... He's, like, created things. He created someone. He came down on a spaceship. High evolutionary. Yeah, that's the one. I mean, that's a great thread that has to come back, right? He has Sink's blood. Right. To be able to do that. That might be... Modok was my first choice just because of what's going on with him and Nimrod and the Orcus mm. 
interior, but high evolutionary is a thread that I would like to see more of. Eric Huffman is here for more brood development in X-Men 20. Also, really like the twist and power for Iceman. We kind of talked about how that's building off some other potential powers that he has in the future, but really exploring. That's been a point that Jerry has been saying again and again, that like I really flex my power on planet-sized X-Men and even in Marauders towards the end with Fin Fang Foom and mm. uh, the, the Frost Giants. And- it just kind of brings up an interesting interesting point of like the difference of someone who just doesn't know as much about previous continuity or previous storylines versus someone who does because in an instance where I don't know that Iceman ever had that ability or didn't have that ability that didn't seem out of the realm of possibilities in my mind you know I didn't even question it I didn't even think like since when can he make himself small I was like oh every day this man's got new powers new (laughs) new levels of his power because he's continually growing yes and like cool But then when I was reading uh, Deadly Regenesis, I had to stop and ask you, you know, because of the back and forth about what's going on with Laura having an adamantium skeleton, I was like, wait, has she always had adamantium claws or did she, should she have had bone claws or whatever? Because I was questioning the continuity of her ability to slice through metal at that point. Mm. So when you have this other knowledge, I feel like sometimes... Knowing too much is a disservice to us reading a story because we can't just go along for the ride of the story. We start picking it apart. Sure. You know? But I mean, that's that's part of what we do. Is right. We pick it apart. We, we react to it from different perspectives. I don't mean just like we as in you and I. I mean, we as in the comics community. Comics community. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I didn't know about the future or the, you know, the Generation X lead in where Emma takes over Iceman's body and shows him the amount that he can do and he never really achieves that level of power. It's just all potential that's been seeded within him that as long as you explain it logically enough, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's made fully of ice, so how can the brood eat into him? The fact that you know he can create a little version of himself? Yeah, sure, let's go for it. Mm-hmm. We Tom, I love him. We Bobby. <laughs> Little Robbie. All right. Enough of that. It's time for Nightcrawlers. Nightcrawlers. The final issue of the week. That cover. We're not we're not really looking too heroic here, boys. No. This is definitely uh questionable, especially since Thor looks like he's crying. Really <laughs> yeah, very distraught. Chris at the comic shop was like, uh, why is Thor on this cover? What's going on? He's he's a handful of months behind. He's trying mm. to catch up on a couple of different things, but he's not reading Sins of Sinister at all. And to give like the elevator pitch of, well, we're a hundred years in the future and evil chimera race that's it's complicated. Been, you know, there's, there's layers. Well, let's dig into it. Yeah. Page turn noise. The Nightkin wait for war to strike. I gotta tell you, uh, the first half to two-thirds of this issue, I felt like I was reading the first few issues of Legion of X, and I felt a little bit like I had not a clue what was happening. I mean, when you jump 90 years and you don't have much lead-in, that that's gonna happen. I feel like it was less about the time jump and more about how we went into this, like... I don't know, like 
stylized language and prophecy speak instead of just like all of a sudden we're talking about this deep-seated ritualistic society that it felt like even if it wasn't a time jump like just jumping into this depth of a faith or this depth of a culture in the wordiness of it was a little bit jarring as a reader well sure i mean that, that's what i meant by we jumped 90 years we only saw the seeds of the beginning at the start right we, we saw them releasing a handful of the nightkin and then that has now become its own religion this is built to have its own rituals its own lore its own stories that we kind of start to peel back as we get throughout the issue but at the start yeah no it, it makes very little sense on first read as to what's going on until you see the bamfs and you you know okay like th this is clearly title of the the book and those are our, our team doing this thing it's just it's very particular to a style that we haven't seen otherwise mm -hmm. you're thrown right into it yes well, they're thrown right into a very thought out plot in waiting for the uproar of these sinisterized versions of the council to attack Asgard. But you got what you wanted. In Sins of Sinister, you were like, I want more on all these pages of these one shots. And this is the magic one. Well, this is... We're getting deeper into the magic taking down Asgard. and. So this is later on. Right, so that this is Magic's return to Asgard, as before she kind of just punted it away or or did some destruction. Now this is a full on invasion and like raising of yes, yes. I'm just saying it's a furthering of a thread that was mentioned in Sins of Sinister that here for it. you were like, I wish I got more of that. And I'm saying you're getting some of it. Yeah, especially look at these chimeras, these mix between. Was that Wolverine or Sabretooth in Omega Red? With the spidery legs? Mm, yeah. The Eye Boy and Cyclops in the the corner? And Cannonball? Yeah, definitely got some cannonball action. This is crazy. I, I just that's I love Chimeras. I know mixed reactions from some, they're not crazy about them, or they just feel like uh, it's it's a lot going on. It totally is a lot going on, but just seeing the interesting combinations and what that could mean, that was what I was so excited at the beginning of Powers of Ten. It was like, how can we create our own? What combos would we make? Right. And I'm here for all of my favorite characters and their sinister looks. So sure. that cover, that Mark Brooks cover of the Sinister Emma, yeah. and this like sinister magic, like she's getting a taste of the sinister cape with her like, Horns coming back. Um, here for it. The splash page of destruction as Vasgard, as we hear from our narrators that they have been reborn in the suit of hearts. Xavier in Sin, SE fifty three. Right? I think that means the Sinister Era year fifty three, right? And kind of Yes. And see that what you just said, I think that means the Sinister Era year 53. That's what I was talking about, about the confusion. Like the 90 year jump is fine, but now you're going to talk in code while we also have jumped 90 years and you're just going to make it even more confusing. I mean, I got that eventually, but it just, it's the layers of unnecessary confusion for me. It's almost as if there should have been another book. No, I don't think issue. there should have. I just think just Could if have written you're going to like 
if you're going to time jump like that and you're going to layer on this whole of religion that you want to dump in the beginning of the issue so that we can get to the rest of the issue, just do it in a way that is clear and not do it in a way that takes deciphering. Hmm. Well, Xavier in Sin in year 53, the hybrid brain attack from Shadow King in Somnus's brains. Crazy stuff. To overwhelm everyone to think that everyone's out to get me. Even this raid on Asgard's treasures as Loki is pleading for support from the Nightkin. Like, yeah. hey, what are you doing? You're, you're not one of them. You could help me. Not my chair, not my problem. Yeah, like, I'm, the, I'm, yeah I'm not one of them, but I'm not one of you either. I have a mission of my own. Right. SE-77 as Otherworld, they're, they're pleading for the help of the Nightkin and they refuse as the most terrifying Chimera attacks in the Megan Maggot Madrox combo of a plague of magic slugs undoing Underworld with rot. Yuck. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrifying, but also kind of great. Thor, we need you to give us your hammer, and we're going to cut off your arm in order to get it. Yeah, and especially this, uh, the airburst bomb in SE-89, the wordplay mixed with the world destruction, so the airburst, the fact that you're going to take Proteus, Polaris, and Legion, the heirs of your three rulers of Krakoa, combine them into one massively destructive force and just unleash that onto Xandar and Xandar's son. Kind of ridiculous. You feel bad for Thor? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I feel like he's trying to save his people and these other people who should also be trying to help him are just taking away his only weapon against them, essentially. Yeah. And, and raiding all of their trinkets collecting for mother some some difficulties with the fact that they're able to manipulate mjolnir here but yeah questionable yeah well it's a title page keep the faith the apostate written by Cy Spurrier, art by andrea devito colors by jim charles letters clayton coles he sees clayton coles lennel francis you and sunny go on that cover as we get our data page about cosmic genocide, intergalactic conquest, and the rebels that fight. Did you, did you, uh, of course, recoing all this on the bottom? Yep, I did. It's, what is it's it? literally just the reading order. I did the first couple and then I noticed the pattern uh, the fact that it goes one, 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 two, 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 three, 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 one. Mm. Sins of Sinister. Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, Nightcrawlers, and Moral X-Men. Got it, got it, got it. Which I thought was an odd... You know, it's almost like it's pulling double duty of the title page on this data page, but... Yeah. I almost didn't read this data page again. Almost thought almost. it was an ad, but then realized, no, no, no. 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 It's a fake wrinkle. I thought that was a real page wrinkle, and I got scared. I was like, what did I do to this comic? No, it's part of the art. On to the Narthax, right? So... Nightcrawler's tower from Kokoa now released with a slew of new crawler combos and the ship ice crawler and the, the chamber nocturne this is not a good week for chamber to have all of these versions of him expelling their energy used as the burst for 
the ship and also to have his head being manipulated by Max Frankenstein. Yeah. Just being used and abused all over the place. I had to look up some of these words. So legate, a deputy representing the Pope. So that is Wagnerine, the Pope, I guess, in this sense, being Mother Righteous. And novitiates, the initiation process for the religious training. So kind of the reference of these new people being brought into essentially the brainwashing cult of Mother Righteous's doctrine. Uh, yes. As we get a visit from our, our herald, Vox Ignis. What I thought was interesting here was this development of the fact that there's an even more twisted thing that Sinister did in his OG plan, which was to make you, you know, sterile. So you couldn't have children because if you can have children that could potentially not have the Sinister gene passed, because obviously when you have children, you don't pass all of your genes to them. Then that means that there's an element outside of Sinister's control. And so therefore, you cannot be allotted that freedom. Can't be done. And that, I was like, oh, snap, Sinister. Yeah. You you dirty, dirty. He, he thought a couple of things through and just did not want that to happen. But Wagnerine, her healing factor, was able to somehow fight through. This is some great character growth for Wagnerine. Well, I think, too, like the fact that it was over a century that she's been alive that her healing factor was working like this didn't happen right away right Right. so that's not necessarily something that sinister could have predicted and i thought yeah this was really great character development for her because i kind of got sad or disappointed at first when i was realizing this is wagnerine and she's not she doesn't look like her costume is completely different she doesn't have the wolverine The Wolverine-ness that made her Wagnerine. She just has this other outfit and really, really short hair. And, like, she's not giving off the same vibes. Like, we're not seeing her claws, you know? Her character design is completely different. And then you realize what kind of trauma she's recently been through. And that's why she potentially made such a giant, drastic change to her appearance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the child. The fact that the child's birth... And teleportation is now woven into their faith is wildly upsetting and tears summer night apart. So a a Cyclops Nightcrawler combination. So Wagnerine had a child and the child blind bamfed and we don't know what happened. Okay. Who, who is this auntie fortune? It's we the, we met them before. Domino Nightcrawler combination from the first issue. Okay, okay. I it's was also like, the the fact that they look wildly different yeah. because ninety years have gone by. Right, but I was just like, wait, and and Wagnerine doesn't because healing factor, so they don't age the same way. Right, and then but the I cowl's was like, been removed. Right, I was like, I know, I know that name, but I can't place like what exactly. Okay, thank you. But Summer Night is ready for a righteous death. This this last right process that they're going through as he does a, a lucky blind jump using Auntie Fortune and throwing himself against the wall of Sinister's lab. He knows that'll just take him out real good. But the, the heartbreak, the thing that caused the destruction of Summer Night is this story of their child having disappeared, teleported unknowingly. But where? Why? 
a birth reflex. There's been no more recruits found. No more ability to build up their ranks. Well, it makes sense. If you're going to have a hundred years of your nightcrawler-infused chimeras continuously disappearing, you have to be like, hmm. Where are they going? Where are they going? This isn't working out in my favor. Maybe I should stop. Let me learn from this mistake. So we're still collecting artifacts for this reliquary perilous. The list grows longer, no chance to see it finished. The fact that it must be brought into this lab and she vaguely knows how to get into Sinister's lab but doesn't talk to anybody about it. Right. It's sowing a lot of distrust in Mother Righteous. Yeah, right. To ask people, what would you have done differently? Deviousness in her eyes on that bottom panel. Mm Mm-hmm. To see Legion calling her out on the secret plot of what she's been up to. Wagnerine's reaction to hearing that Legion is still around, that means he could, uh, don't give yourself hope. He's gone off. He's told you guys, "Eh, you know, I'm just taking my people and go. You you can continue to futz around around. over here. Yeah, I'm out. I gotta go. Into the light. But Wagnerine has this idea. A lot of talk about the, the secret plot beneath the stated plot. So they have a plan, and they need the Herald to pitch it to Mother Righteous to get it approved. A pilgrimage of sorts. I didn't know you had the ability or the right to come up with ideas. Yeah, I'm just wasting away reading the Darkhold. We get an update on Terra, Earth, Sinister, recapping his troubles, the the Council's perspectives on making this work for good and not knowing that it's just one of my many attempts at what I could be doing, even (laughs) though I can't access my most secret lab. My most secret lab! The Brood Anilis incursion destroying Earth. And to to see it on the next page of just what has happened to Earth now. Yeah. Destruction everywhere. Ravaged. As they're on a mission to reach the mansion. Love me, trust me, be me. That's what the billboard of Sinister oh, says. Yeah. Going to the mansion. Seeking some Cortez flesh, but then laying hands, going deep into the tunnels. And who do they find? The Last of Us. Yeah. Dr. Nemesis. Dr. So Nemesis. that is 100% The Last of Us right now. Absolutely. He has become, he's Cordyceps. Yeah. I mean, it's what happened. <laughs> the fact that they just ignore his plea to leave him as part of Right, he's like, this is all my brain space. Please bring it with me. And the way he's like, they cut make me stupid. (laughs) Them cut fungus brain. Poor guy. Poor guy. But we're banffing him and not only him. The secret plot revealed as the original Nightcrawler enraged attacking Mother Righteous. Oh, this, this panel was gorgeous. Yeah, so gorgeous. I have questions, though. If Nightcrawler has been this like demonic form of himself for a hundred years because he he went full demon pretty quickly at the beginning how can he still like speak sentences right well i think that that's part of the struggle of what he's trying to say is was he talking to nemesis at all during Mm. the time there was that part of I, not to say anything about how he's able to still live and be 
this mobile 90 years in the future. Right. Right. We were just talking about it to, to see Auntie Fortune and how much she has aged in that time. Is it because of Mystique's genetics in him as his mother? Maybe. Or just because he's more like demon than anything else now. Yeah. The magic coursing through him, right? Right. But he's upset because Mother Righteous is not handling the spark the way that he intended it to be handled. Right. And he's had enough of her BS, but unfortunately, um, she has a bunch of mystical relics and uh, just uh, takes him out real quick. Real quick. And and the counter-strike from Wagnerine and the ability to just shut it down. I love this panel and what it means for 90 years of canticles and hymns, 90 years of you, all of you, thanking me with your every theft and prayer. That's all it takes, love, to let me into your insipid little souls to twist and rip. So all of the plot that she's been feeding them, all of this evolved lie of a religion has all been tying them to her to be able to be manipulated by her power. I guess she's not the good guy. She is 100% not the good guy. (laughs) She never was. (laughs) She was just a different guy. Well, they're mummifying the body of the OG Kurt. And teleporting him to the wall, which doesn't seem to do anything except add more bones. And there's a a glimpse, a, a period of hope for Wagnerine as... When connected to Mother Righteous, she sees her child is still alive somehow. Her child is saying, hey, mom, sup? I'm I'm still still here. here. She lied. I never went anywhere. She has me, mama. And with that, our Wagnerine, she renounces the heart and returns to the diamond. I mean, how furious do you think she is, especially after her partner just was driven mad and died because of this. Well, it's interesting, right? Like as a as a person, she's gone through getting the spirit scream that released her from the sinister grip to know I'm being manipulated by sinister. I'm going to go fight for this other person and then this- to be fighting for this other person for 100 years yeah. and then find out that you're actually being manipulated by them. Yeah. It's like Whoa, who, who am I? I? Who can I trust? Right. Nobody. Nobody. Maybe Vox Ignis, but maybe Legion. I don't know. We'll she, see. She mad. She's super mad. Next is Immoral X-Men number two. What'd you think? I I liked the development of the um unfolding of Mother Righteous's cult and the fact that we're kind of seeing the sinister side of her actually come out. And I'm really into the fact that we've got, you know, it's the the title is called Nightcrawlers, but we've got this one specific version, Wagnerine, who seems to be a lead, you know, character that maybe will pull us into or will stick around for somehow in year 1000, which is interesting. I just thought that this book was a lot to dissect. It was really thick. It was really heavy. Yeah. And I feel like it shifted Nightcrawlers to probably being my least favorite of the Sins of Sinister series. 
And just because of how heady and yeah, and just like dense it was. Yeah, it was just it just felt like it didn't need to be. I think that the. I think what I've liked so much about the Sins of Sinister arc and series as a whole and across the titles is the ability for them to show us a large spance of story and information in a way that is interesting but palatable. And this particular issue felt like it wasn't fully palatable. It was really like definitely similar to how some issues of Legion of X I would feel like I really have to read this again to understand but I read one paragraph and I feel like lost and I don't have the desire to go back and reread that paragraph Hmm. so I felt like I got the gist of the story by skimming over it or what felt like you know it not fully seeping into my brain to the point where like you were saying some things and I was like, oh, okay, that's what that was or that's what that really meant because there were so many words on a page, so many big words. Like you're saying, oh, you looked up what all those like religious terms were. I didn't. And I was just like, okay, I don't, I mean, that's- I'm getting, I'm getting the, you know, the gist of this story. I'm getting the key points that I need to know is that Mother Righteous is continuing to collect these things and her followers are starting to question her. There's this mystical baby. The real Nightcrawler is dead. But I feel like I lost some of the details because of how heady it was. Sure, right. And, and the no, lack of interest in looking further into those details to f- try to find what they mean or, right. or even did you question the SE and numbers at all? No, I mean, I didn't. I, I read it and they kind of say it one time in the beginning. So it kind of gives you that perspective of what it is but I felt like a lot of the stuff I felt like a lot of the stuff with Legion felt very much like I was missing something I wasn't really sure how Legion became this giant astral energy where that came from like I I, I think the problem with Nightcrawlers and it's a similar problem that I had with Legion of X is that there's so much information that when you go from one issue to the time the next issue comes out, it's really hard to retain all the details mm. if you're not a person who reads it multiple times. So then you're like, wait, what was that? You know, and, and it's like, I don't I'm not, I'm not going to go back and refresh because I'm getting, like I said, the gist of it. Okay, yeah. But was it helpful to talk about it? And do you feel like you were more able to understand and or enjoyed it more after going over it or... I definitely understood it more. I I don't know if I enjoyed it more or less. I mean, there are things about it that I that I liked even when I didn't fully understand it. So I, I definitely understood it more. I just think in terms of like epicness or just the juiciness of the Sins of Sinister arc, it doesn't. Mother Righteous used to be a point of like real interest for me. And I feel like this issue made me be like, oh, okay, I will wonder what's happening in Storm and the Brotherhood. <laughs> is it because you now are acknowledging that she is a villain? Or? No, no, I don't mind the turn. I think oh. deep down in my soul, I always knew yeah. that she wasn't actually a good guy. Sure. 
Uh, I, I thought this was good, and it built out on so much of the, the weird religious offshoot of a future, right? So that has always been kind of the vein going through Legion of X, and what Nightcrawler was trying to do was trying to get people to believe in something, and now Mother Righteous has taken that and used it for her own gains. Mm-hmm. She is an evil woman. She's manipulating them all to bury into their souls and control them to use them and further her own cause that page with nightcrawler ripping through things was just amazing so many good pages and individual character designs of these nightcrawler combinations mm-hmm. i was thrown off by wagnerine under the hood under the cowl at first but really like the character the tragedy and the pain mm-hmm. that follows the wolverine name and just how much we got in terms of development for this single character that we likely will never see after this series ends, but maybe, who knows? Yeah, I think maybe that's what it was. I think it was like, I was hoping for a little bit more of a global perspective of this like 90 year gap and it was really focused on this one character. Hmm. So I just felt like you got a decent amount of the story through her perspective and her being the leader of sorts of the nightkin and just the struggle. Yeah. It was very much so centered on her story and her child and how that relates to mother righteous's plans. Mm -hmm. Spiders rules is wondering what is the deal with the baby in nightcrawlers too? Yeah. Well, I mean the baby's got to play like, the baby's got to play some kind of role, right? Like Mother Righteous is to use the baby as a sacrifice or the baby has some kind of power that Mother Righteous can manipulate to get into Sinister's lab or, you know, something in year 1000 is going to stem from that child because the child was such a central point of the story. Right, right. And to use that to kind of further drive, I don't know if it was intentional to further drive Wagnerine into madness or, or anger. mm to make it part of their their faith and their history to constantly be reminded of the loss that she experienced. Yeah, and I also just feel like with her now wanting to get her child back, like that's another thing that's going to lead to the potential downfall of Mother Righteous. Yes, 100%. I mean, Maddie Bond suggested a really good idea that, that you're getting towards right now. This Mother Righteous took Wagnerine's baby to protect it because it's the only one who can bamf into Sinister's lab, question mark, question mark. Maybe because they don't have any Sinister DNA. Yeah, yeah, right. And and to be this beacon of light, to have this glow to them, Mm. what does that mean for their ability to go through the darkness that is the lab's shield? Yeah. Yeah, the baby is going to have some kind of, some kind of sun. Yeah. Curl said that Mystique yeeted Kurt off the waterfall and now his variant is starting a revolution because of her love for her child. It's poetic and such a lovely concept. Mm-hmm. This idea that like, oh, wow, the, the family has gone full circle. Yeah. I love my child versus get away from me, child. Yeah. China said that Nightcrawlers gave me what I wanted from Sins of Sinister and for everyone, Alicia, questioning if Mother Righteous is good or not. Here's your answer, LMAO. Whatever. There's so many cool moments in this book to love. What's happened in the Sinister Era SE, the, the Megan, one of the scariest chimeras yet, 
And the fact that Xavier and Sin is just a cool name with all those brains. Yuck. I think that's just his real name. You guys just didn't know it until now. <laughs> no. Xavier and Sin. Mike Loves Mariah Carey said that Nightcrawlers had so much depth. Loki asking for aid. Megan Maggot and Madrox sounds like a freaky, scary chimera to encounter just overtaking Otherworld. Yeah. The downfall of Otherworld was insane to me. And also, yeah, Loki's asking you for help. That's a, ooh, you know you're in a tough spot. Right. The Pikachu wants to know, who would you rather return to the main timeline, Wagnerine or Rasputin? That's a rude question. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer is Rasputin. The answer is Rasputin for me too, <laughs> even though how much I loved Wagnerine's development in this. I think it, it's the, the five combo. It's just Rasputin. It's it, like her aesthetics. It's her Chimera combo. It's the fact that I've been waiting for her since the start of my comic reading. Like, yeah. yeah. Wagnerine's cool though. It's interesting because in my mind, I was thinking, well, do we need another version of Laura in the main timeline? But then looking back at Rasputin's combo and she also has Laura's genes as part of her. Yeah, but also Danny and no, no. she doesn't have Moonstar in her. No, I thought she did. No, she is Laura Kinney Wolverine, Unis, the Untouchable, Colossus. Shadowcat and Quentin Choir. Oh, yeah. Eric Huffman so loved the 100 year story development in Nightcrawlers. I want to see this as a series to continue. Sad that OG Kurt went the way he did. And man, you can't trust Mother Righteous if you didn't know. She only cares for her schemes and how she can manipulate whoever to get them done. Yes, well, she definitely came straight up and said that this time around. <laughs> okay. It might have been a little bit. Thank you, everyone, for pointing that out. <laughs> she was very upfront with her manipulations in this issue. I will no longer hold out hope for her to be the savior of the story. No. I have been proven wrong very blatantly. Warline has some issues with Thor and the things having happened with him and Mjolnir. Taking Thor's arms off and his eye didn't stop him from fighting the Beyonders in Time Runs Out. As to him, it's better to die a warrior than to live as a broken man. So kind of similar to what I was saying about Manifold last week with Rogan Gambit. And I would expect that more from the mighty Thor who's lived however hundreds, thousands of years and killed all these things. That he would not let this perversion of his historical artifacts just happen. He would give himself to this battle. Yeah. That, I mean, yes, but also how many bat and maybe there's, maybe there's an answer to this question, but how many battles has he fought in that have lasted a hundred years? And I also don't think he like just kind of gave up. I think he just got defeated. Like there were multiple against him and I don't know, but yeah. Okay. Valid. Thor is not a giver upper. No, he shouldn't be. And no one can move Mjolnir when they are not worthy. Even Magneto couldn't. Granted, he shaked it a little bit, but he couldn't control its movement. He just slowed it down. I thought that was a uh, a, a Shadowcat-Nightcrawler combo that was able to move it. I think it was like Shadow and Lost or something like that was her name. Yeah, but I also, the whole time, and I didn't say this out loud, had been thinking in my head, like, if I was to say... 
of all of the mutants who might be worthy, I would say potentially Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler yeah. So because they all have Nightcrawler DNA, maybe that's why they can manipulate it a little bit. Like maybe because even though they're being manipulated, their root intention is that of Nightcrawlers and therefore it is a good intention and therefore they are worthy in some respect. Yeah, maybe. Wagnerine and Night Summer having a baby. Did someone read all new X-Men and remember that Laura and Kid Cyclops had a thing? Could have been. It's interesting to choose that as the combo. I mean, Cyclops has always had a thing for Wolverines. Haha. <laughs> Vaderino said, great book, but so depressing. Here's a prediction. What if the Nightcrawlers use the remains of giant Kurt somehow to continue their line? There's no way they can survive for another thousand years at their current rate. Also, Nemesis is literally the last of us. <laughs> Which, yeah. Right. Well, the way that they survive is that somehow... Somehow Wagnerine finds another partner and keeps popping out Nightcrawler babies. Magic babies. Yeah. Because she's rege- she's healing. She's got healing power, so she could stay stay strong for another thousand years. So she's going to be the mother of a new generation of non-sinistered crawler babies. Here's hoping. Well, that's everything. That's it. It was a long episode. It was a lot. It was a lot to talk about and a lot to break down. I think, but good. I think a, a good, hearty discussion episode. You know, we really yeah. dug into some feelings and some thoughts there. Yeah. What we got coming next week? Do I ever know the answer to that question? Sometimes. Sometimes. You, what, what's the sins of Sinister? Storm and the Brotherhood. It's Immoral X-Men number two. Excellent. <laughs> the excellent number one. Oh, finally. I guess that every week and it's finally coming. Yeah. Bishop War College number two. Okay. Wolverine number 31 Ooh. and Captain Marvel number 47. Okay, more broody broods. More broody broods. Uh, the Wolverine, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, the beast that's going to be, ooh, baby. But also Immoral X-Men because yeah, Rasputin. Yeah, 100, 100%. Bring yeah. me my Rasputin. Let's go. More chimeras. Until next time, old friend. Charles in sin. Forever. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 